Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The <laughs> Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the That's ad. The ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. Welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we are talking about 1991's Nothing But Trouble as picked by Brian. So here's the question. Here's what I want to ask you guys. Do we want to dive into the movie right away or do you want me to tell you a little bit of how this movie happened from the research I did first? Given the fact that you have two pages, I would suggest that you find a way to sprinkle it in throughout the episode. Oh, no, no, no. I have... It's two <laughs> separate pages. One page That's what is... I mean. So, sprinkle. I'll try to do the quickest version of this, because it's a lot of the same stuff. But the basic vibe is that this movie that Brian picked, Nothing But Trouble, is inspired by an actual event that happened to Dan Aykroyd. Yes. In 1978, he got pulled over for speeding, and was taken to a judge's house in the middle of the night to hold a trial. And because of that, he was like, that's fucking weird. That shouldn't happen. Something really bad could happen if that happened to somebody. And it was like a crazy guy. I'm going to write a movie about it. And we got nothing but trouble out of that. <laughs> yes. 
And this movie was treated unfairly. This movie deserves a Snyder cut, <laughs> an Ackroyd cut, if you will, to see the original gory, dark comedy that it was supposed to be. And yep. I just want you to be aware, Matt, before you attack me, and I wish I could say it to Scott, but I can't, but I can say it to you. If you were a director, you would make this movie as well. No. And it's not because you're a bad director. It's because Dan Aykroyd couldn't say no to anyone on set. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to get into. So the studio insisted that this be a PG-13, even though he very much shot an R-rated movie. So that was the first issue. The other big issue was that Dan Aykroyd did not want to direct this movie. Mm-hmm. He had no desire to direct this movie, but no one else wanted to make it. And he was like, I want this movie to exist. If the only way it's going to get made is that I agree to direct it at a lower cost to get the movie made, then that's what I'll do. But like John Landis said no, Ivan Reitman said no, and John Hughes all said no to him when he pitched this movie to them. John Hughes actually liked it, though. Yeah, John yeah, he Hughes said, was I like, just, all right. I'm only making John Hughes movies. I did read yes. that much. So what ended up happening, and this is where like the big divide is, is that Dan Aykroyd is such an actor and apparently just such a nice person that he was like, well, let me do this the way I would like to do it if I if I was on a movie set. So every actor in the movie was given their own personal monitor and they could give their own notes on what they think that Dan Aykroyd should do as a director based on the performances that they were seeing. And this was a film made by committee and it ended up being that the crew thought that Dan Aykroyd was the greatest person they ever worked with any idea that they came up with, he was like, let's see if we can make it happen. Follow your heart's desire. Get as weird as possible. They all hate it, Chevy Chase, because Chevy Chase is human refuse. Yeah. And even though he did this movie as a favor to Dan Aykroyd and knew that Dan Aykroyd took a pay cut to get this movie made, continued to point out that he got paid more than the directors. And that's how big of a star Chevy Chase is while they were on the set of the movie, so much so that a crew member apparently pulled Dan Aykroyd to the side and said, if you want me to accidentally... I thought that they told Chevy Chase, if you keep disrespecting Dan, we're going to drop a brick on your head. Maybe that's what it was. But yeah, the only other big notes that I pulled when I was doing some of the research on this that I thought was interesting is that one of the first choices for the lead role was Rick Moranis, and I think this movie would be a lot more enjoyable with Rick Moranis because Chevy Chase so clearly doesn't want to be in this movie at all, and I think Rick Moranis would have tried. That would have made so much more sense, too, yeah. because like Chevy Chase doesn't play awkward. He plays prick. Rick mm-hmm. Moranis plays awkward and not prick. Perfect. Yeah, it would have made it more easy to digest, and then this story I just thought was funny was that Ebert hated the movie so much that when he was at a screening of it and there were kids heckling, he got up and walked over and asked them to please be a little bit louder because you could still hear some of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that pretty much sums too. up what this movie is, though. It's bad. It is a bad flick. Brian and I were talking about a little bit before uh, you jumped on to, to record, Scott, and I, I told him, like, there are things that are interesting about Nothing But Trouble because it really is, like, they are throwing anything on the wall that they can but the biggest problem is that it's a comedy that's not funny well no the funniest thing about you explaining this movie is that you didn't explain why it was made like it was literally because dan Aykroyd's best friend who i believe he wrote ghostbusters with right yeah they Mm -hmm. co-wrote it he had broken a rib and 
they were trying to he said let's go out to see a movie but not a comedy because i don't want to laugh so they go see fucking hellraiser and they're they're in the theater and people are laughing at the horror and they're like we should write a horror comedy yeah. And they know nothing about <laughs> horror comedies, apparently. There's another story that I heard also, which I think is equally funny, which is that it just said, one day Dan Aykroyd thought how funny it would be for John Candy to be dressed like a woman. <laughs> yeah. And he liked the idea so much, he was like, all right, I got to write a movie in which that <laughs> becomes part of it. So all of this was based around, let's get John Candy in drag, because Dan Aykroyd thought it would be kind of funny to see. But here's the thing is, like, I can't be mad at Dan Aykroyd, because... He is a kind soul. I've always liked yes. Dan Aykroyd. I don't think that he's... He's a little insane. Is he? Tell me. Explain. Not, just he, not insane in a bad way. Like, no, not just like he he's really... Like, he's like Tom DeLonge with aliens. Yes. Like, oh, like, he believes really, in aliens? But like, like so much to the point that like <laughs> things that have been disproven and found out as hoaxes, he still believes. Like, he believes everything. That's why yeah. his liquor is shaped like the Crystal Skull. Like, is the Crystal yeah, Skull he believes vodka. Crystal Skulls. Crystal Skull yeah, and he, tequila or whatever? That's his? Yeah, yeah, that's Dan Aykroyd. He believes wow. they're real. In this day and age, if, like, your insanity as a celebrity is harmlessly believing in aliens, I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> that's not hurting anybody, really. <laughs> the thing with this movie is that it is such a crazy idea. and it, And it's definitely, like... In, in the one book that I was reading, because I reread the chapter about this in Wild and Crazy Guys this morning just to kind of refresh myself a little bit. And they said, like, this movie is like you have Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Demi Moore, all at a point in their careers where they are just like hitting it out of the park. Nobody is going to tell them no about ideas. And it literally wasn't until like Warner Brothers watched the final cut where they were like, oh, no, we can't do this. But, like, no one said a damn word about Dan Aykroyd being like, I think my nose should absolutely be a penis. Yes. (laughs) So, dude. Like, there are so many decisions in this movie that I just will never be able to understand. That is why I have a love for this movie. It's more, it's not even a love, it's more of a fascination for this movie because had I put on this movie and it was a B-horror movie with nobodies, I would say this is one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen. So the fact that it was like a big budget knockout celebrity movie yeah, made, makes it so made much more interesting. Eight point five million on its forty million dollar budget. Yeah, <laughs> like, I do. I would do want to acknowledge that that Taylor Negron is in this movie. Of course he is because he is last generation's Fred Armisen. Where it's like. He's kind of Hispanic, so let's put him... <laughs> he's, like, vaguely foreign, so any foreign character, he's just going to play that. Cuban? Sure. Mexican? But sure. Like, that's, the, that's the weirdest thing about him is that, that he's the whitest person in this movie. But it's not even just this movie. Like, any movie I've seen him in, he plays someone who is semi-foreign. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes no sense because his accents are terrible. They're absolute garbage. One of the things that I actually do like in this movie is the fact that the roller coaster Mr. Bone Stripper gets oh. its own theme song that plays every single time that I someone's on it. I knew that you liked The Dark Ride. I forgot that Brian picked it because I saw The Dark Ride and I was like, oh, Matt picked this. And I was like, oh, wait, no, Brian picked yeah. it. Yeah. Theme song performed by Damn Yankees. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. The, this, this music, the music in this film, and we'll get to this a little bit later too, it is literally uncool dad picks what he think is thinks is hip 1990 music 
It's so <laughs> uncomfortably hey, dumb. He was ahead of the curve. He got Tupac in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, he got fucking G. Digital Underground, and he got Tupac with I literally with wrote R.I.P. Shock G. That's what I wrote, too! Dude, holy fuck! I don't even like rap. Now, nah, but Shock G, you know what? Here, we're going to take a quick... Rap or This is our little the whole point, right? R.I.P. for Shock, Shock G. Shock G, like, the idea of someone coming up in rap and being like, I want to be rap, but I want to be the George Clinton of rap. Like, I want... To be the rap equivalent of of the P Funk All Stars, where there's all these people and they're in costumes, and I'm gonna go so deep into this idea that I'm gonna play three or four different characters in this yeah. group simultaneously. Like I love that he literally on this track is playing both Shock G and Humpty Hump as yeah. if yes. they're two separate guys in yeah. the band. Like, yes, for anyone <laughs> that has no interest in rap and no knowledge of rap whatsoever, but does know good hardcore comedy. Shock G is who John Leguizamo impersonates in the beginning of the pest. <laughs> yes, he does actually. It's amazing. It's amazing. Man, Brian, why haven't you picked the pest for Patreon? Dude, because I don't want to watch anything past the intro anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do for money nowadays, though. The only other digital underground notes that I had since we were just talking about that scene is same song is still quite a bop. And then a couple seconds later, it says, but that organ solo. <laughs> well, it's not even the organ solo. It's how good Digital Underground and even Tupac are as actors with just the jaw drop surprise. <laughs> the one guy took off two pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> are you, but yeah, uh, it's, but wait, wait. Do, do you think that he made that decision on his own? Apparently. apparently because Dan Aykroyd is not a director. He's a co-signer. He's an enabler. <laughs> yeah, he really is. And the funniest thing about Dan Aykroyd being the, at the helm of this movie and never another movie again is that, like, this movie is so expensive. It just yeah. looks expensive. And the set pieces are massive. You know who absolutely loved this movie? The crew that worked on it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because the head guy had done um, kinetic sculpture before he started doing uh, movie uh, sets. And that's why there are all those kinetic sculptures and like the all the metal sculpture work outside. It's because it was his yeah. passion. And Dan Aykroyd can't say yeah. no, apparently. And honestly, I don't even think that it's that he doesn't have a backbone because he had to talk to like he doesn't have a backbone to nice people but like he went to the exec's office he's like guys you gotta listen the movie can't move forward without a train with all the things on it (laughs) oh my god um... the part when he eats the fucking (laughs) hot dog is the most disgusting thing i've watched in years and i've watched some gross out fucking horror fucking dick nose dan Aykroyd, just you know fucking eating a hot dog it's not even like it's not a real hot dog it's like a a boiled bratwurst that like it just reminded me of growing up when you when i still ate meat and obviously like we'd have barbecues and stuff like that the the bratwurst would come out of the package looking like that and my dad would like boil it a little bit to make it gray and then he'd put it on the grill to crisp out the up this the fucking intestines that are on the outside like if you think about Mm -hmm. sausage it is disgusting Disgusting. Even if you oh, eat it's meat. absolutely repulsive. Uh, but like, but I, I mean, still eat you know, it. like you know, pigs assholes, and you know, but you're eating intestines, right? The color was just so stomach churning, and that's what I had to say about it's it. It's like gray. Yeah, it's disgusting. You can't gross out two guys from Pennsylvania. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, so that's, 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 like yes. a breakfast. Yeah, exactly. They they take a pig, they use what they can, and they take the leftover edible side of the pig and make hot dogs. And then the unedible side, they grind down into a brick, call it scrapple, and feed it to humans in yep. Pennsylvania. Yep. And that's what we eat. But I, I am glad that that hot dog scene happened because it made me feel better where it's like, okay, I'm not absolutely repulsive because that whole scene was supposed to be repulsive and it's like, you guys want Hawaiian Punch? I'm like, I love Hawaiian Punch. But warm Hawaiian ants Punch ants opened up with a <laughs> gas funnel. It is, the, the amount of detail in that scene alone is just so shocking to me because they didn't spend any more time on any of the other like plot developments. Like there are tons of great set pieces in this movie, but no mm-hmm. plot development and no like world building except in that scene. There was also and this is where I feel like they had to I cuz I read that Dan Aykroyd was never happy with the ending of the movie. Oh, he wants he he wished that they would have like let him do his own cut right yeah brian was joking but it's also true because the ending with the chevy chase shaped hole in the wall is some fucking looney tunes bullshit that i can't stand but even if you hate it that mean think about how much more i hated it yeah but what like bothers me is like there's a moment in this movie i'll never say this movie is good but there's a moment where i was like yo that's actually a pretty solid horror ending if they think that they're about to get this judge arrested yeah. and then it's just like, and then they just go through Mr. Bone Stripper and that's the end of it. But then, and I think that I have a feeling that that's how it ended originally. I and then agree. the studio was like, no. <laughs> like, it needs more comedy. Why don't you yeah, make it Looney Tunes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, cause I was like that, that's a nice horror ending. You know what I think when I'm, when I, as we're talking about this movie and I had to do a quick Google to, to remind myself of this episode, this wouldn't have been a bad half hour like Tales from the Crypt episode. Like if you took the concept, consolidated it to like 22 minutes and just kept like the really disturbing stuff, you could make it work. And then I realized that there's already two Tales from the Crypt episodes. Is the one where like, where the, the woman gets pulled over for having too many letters in her license plate? Yes. Because that is my all-time yes. favorite Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah. Hell yes. Let the punishment fit the crime. That's yes. the one I was looking for where it's Catherine O'Hare. Ka- yeah, Catherine is- O'Hare, yeah. She gets pulled over for having too many letters in her license plate, and she's a lawyer, and she starts fighting with the judge, and then it turns out that, like, when she loses the case, she now is forced to become the public defender, the public right? defender yeah. for this town. So, like, that, and then there's the episode where I think it's Tim Curry. I, I might be wrong with who it is, but they play, like, six different characters in a family, and the only way that this salesman, it's, like, called Death to Some Salesman, and it's Tim Curry plays a man and his daughter and he's going to murder the salesman unless he agrees to marry the daughter and the daughter is is Tim Carey in drag but like with like really horrific prosthetics on him like where it's like his skin is like peeling off and bubbling like that's kind of the other thing is like if you're going to like do the like Chevy Chase has to marry John Candy in drag storyline like they really didn't make that character horrifying enough for that to be no, like the worst case scenario. John Candy and Drag's makeup was the, the the makeup was good. Like, mm-hmm. how did she learn how to make makeup? Do makeup right? There was no TV. She was in basically Centralia. That's what uh, Vandal uh, Vancalvania. What's it called? That's what the script was supposed to be. Co- this is what the script was called too. Vancalvania. Vancalvania. Yeah. And they're like, no one's going to know how to pronounce but that. Like, Just call that's it the thing is trouble. that, like, <laughs> yeah. And Dan Aykroyd wanted it to have that name. He was always upset about that. And when he was like, oh, the fire's burning underneath because of the coal. I was like, oh, it's Centralia. Like, I love so many concepts in this movie. It's just the fact that the tone never hits. 
and it the script is a mess. You could make so it cool. You could so make it So here's horror. the solution. Something that I learned while reading that Wild and Crazy Guys book, which I've read almost three yeah. times now. Oh, it's slowly becoming one of my favorite books. Yeah. But what you learn in that is that Dan Aykroyd is a great idea man, but yeah. he's not he's not a strong writer. And like they said, like the first Ghostbusters script was three hundred and fifty pages. Because like he went like full Tolkien where he was like breaking down the like scientific logic of how the machines work and like all this other stuff. And he wanted to be like in the future where like everybody like they're just like exterminators that you hire and like we were just gonna follow two dudes on the job and it's just like a very mundane thing and someone's like no you got it let's consolidate let's consolidate let's consolidate i don't think he had anybody sitting around being like let's consolidate no. these ideas no <laughs> yeah because so. if they did they would have taken out the giant mutant babies um oh, which for are worthless, sure. are worthless except They're for worthless. one line which i thought was very funny especially when you take this into consideration that the film was written in let's say 89 and it was released in 91 is that correct Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Demi Moore, who, by the way, I never knew was actually talented at physical comedy. She's the only yeah. competent physical comedian in this movie. Even Dan Aykroyd is not competent. Apparently, mm-hmm. everyone said that she was absolutely a sweetheart to oh, work yeah. with on this, yeah. too. I don't and, know. Shock G's little line about the cop made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. This is, this is, <clears throat> here's my impression of Brian. Oh, I don't know about. Demi Moore being in the movie for 112 minutes, but I really like Shock G's two minutes because he made me laugh. <laughs> I'm just saying, no, you said she was the only competent comedy deliverer. Because she's the only main character who does physical, physical comedy. Shock G is literally well, in like it for the, two seconds. The, I can't, terrible. like, the one that bothers me is, like, I am an unapologetic John Candy fan. And like John Candy's not bad in this, but you didn't give he's him anything funny. Yeah, no, you didn't give him anything man. funny to say or do in the entire script. Dude, they dressed he's him up in women's there. clothing and put makeup on him. Isn't that funny? Yeah, and th- we have a terrible split screen of him acknowledging himself at the table, yeah, very, where the, very it's so low, it's so low budget that the actual film stock gets grainy when that part happens. <laughs> But, so I wanted to talk a little bit just for a second about those giant mutant babies, right? Only redeeming quality of them is the part where Demi Moore is like, you should really consider some therapy. And the other one, go, the one of them goes, he won't go. <laughs> For 1991, I find that so incredibly progressive because it's 2021, literally 30 years later. And... We can't get adult men to go to fucking therapy. That's what we're all about. That's really low key. That's what horror movie night's all about. Go to fucking therapy. <laughs> That's what we're. This saying. is the dumbest note I've ever written. I forgot about it. It just says John Candy and drag is not a divine choice. If you ask me, that is uh, awful. Boy. If you aren't a patri- uh, if you're not a patron and you're not watching the video of this, you are not seeing my eyes almost fall out of my head. In disgust. So there is one other scene. Again, like there are, like you said, there's ideas that I like in this. I love the concept of like Demi Moore and Chevy Chase find themselves down in this cellar, and all of a sudden it's like it's all of these people's IDs mixed with the articles about how they went missing. But why they turn they around keep and the there's articles? fucking skeletons down there? And yeah, it's like, all right, cool. I don't know, man. He's proud of it. He knows he's untouchable. The whole town loves him. Uh, the whole country, apparently, because the army came to arrest them and welcomed them with open arms. I forgot to mention this, but in the beginning of the movie, if you didn't know that Chevy Chase did not give a shit 
in this movie. The very first scene, the first five minutes of the movie, he has just got a cigar in his mouth, and you cannot understand a single fucking thing he's saying yeah. with it in his mouth. I was like, I've never been more upset for a DVD to not have a subtitles feature in my entire life than watching this being like, what is he saying? You selfish fuck. You would, you would want someone to go and type this script out again? <laughs> That's a good point. So you can understand is- what Dan Aykroyd is saying? <laughs> No, Chevy Chase. Not even Dan Aykroyd. Oh, yeah, it was Chevy Chase. I can hear less what Dan Aykroyd's saying half the time. The little dookie troll monsters is what I called them, just walking around, farting, and making weird. Think about this. Think about this for a second. Poor Dan Aykroyd on the set of this movie, on at least a couple days, had to direct while dressed like that. He had to be the one brother because no one else would do it. He couldn't get anyone else in the suit. Which it's like you could just cut the scene. (laughs) No, but no. My vision, you know. <laughs> but I got a simple imagine? solution: if people don't want to get in the suit, just don't do it. <laughs> it makes it too added much nothing sense. to this movie. <laughs> you don't think that those were hilarious because they were wearing adult diapers? Do we have any other notes about nothing? No, but please, for fuck's sake, let's be done. I Matt. want to talk about the baby some more. You still focus <laughs> on the babies. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm-hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad! That's the ad. That's the ad. (laughs) All right, Brian, what's your double feature with Nothing But Trouble? Okay. All right. We're not going to talk about the babies. So my double feature (laughs) would be if Basket Case fucked baby Huey, he would give birth to the babies in this movie. Uh, No, my uh, I'm going to I'm going to stick with I'm going to stick with Trouble and uh, the far superior film, although I do have some love for this movie. Big Trouble in Little China. Good choice. That's a better choice. Scott, how about you? Oh, I'm going to go the very obvious and opposite way i'm going tcm2 because this movie is because nothing but trouble is absolute bullshit to me a waste of my hour and a half hour and 40 minutes whatever it was even to me more in her absolutely adorable 1940s-esque you know jorts or you know like her little mm-hmm. her, her gauchos whatever they are and and her little you know like halter top looks amazing by the way chevy chase denigrated her for her for being dressed too slutty in this movie she has yeah. one out or two outfits maybe three and one of them is sweatpants the other one that she's in yeah. for 90 percent of the movie there's no cleavage 
I, I yeah. like the movie that Listen, I'm saying, we could do a whole episode just about Chevy Chase being a piece of shit. We are we're all aware. <laughs> but but what I was gonna say is that my double feature is with TCM two because it's one of my all time favorite horror movies. Definitely top ten. It's so much fun. It has that same feeling of like oh shit I stumbled upon this fucked up family. But there's more humor in it than the first TCM. So I'm gonna go with that. And also, it has a very uncomfortable dinner scene, just like nothing but trouble. So I was I was torn between two movies. I'll say the one that I've decided not to go with because I've gone with it a bunch of times. But at a certain point, specifically when they were crossing the bridge and entering into this whole area, I was like, I could I could go for Freaked after this. This has the, Freaked is uh, also I a self indulgence. Did I mention Freaked in our discussion? No. I thought I mentioned it here, but it, it, this movie feels like Freaked a lot. Yeah, it's like a Freaked with with a much higher budget. Less lights and a lot less direction. So what I'm going to pick instead is a little obscure one because I don't know if I'll ever actually get to mention this movie again. A film called Haunted Honeymoon, oh. which I saw a really long time ago. It's pretty funny. It's it's fine, but it's very similar to this movie in two ways. First of all, the star of the movie also wrote, produced, and directed, which was Gene Wilder. And second of all, a male comic plays a drag role, except in this movie, it's Dom DeLuise. Haunted Honeymoon is a perfectly fine, like, Mel Brooks-esque comedy that Gene Wilder wrote, basically just for him and his wife, him and Gilda Radner. He wanted to make a movie with his wife, and he wrote this, like, funny little comedy about two newlyweds that end up spending their honeymoon in a haunted house. It's not, it's a good movie. I would rewatch it. There was parts that I definitely remember laughing at, but it didn't like stick in my memory distinctly, but it is, I'm pretty sure it's like one of the last movies that he got to make before Gilda died. Like I think Mm -hmm. he was making it because she was sick at that time. So there is like that piece of like empathy that you have with it where it's like, this movie could be the worst movie ever, but it came from like the most sincere place possible. So like, and who am I to shit on it? Away, so yes, exactly. Brian, is there anything that you've watched recently that you want to talk about uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I actually forgot I watched this. I don't know why, but it completely slipped my mind until Scott said something last week, and I watched finally watched Blood and Flesh, the documentary on Al Adamson. That's a great documentary. Yeah, man. Who's Al Adamson? He's he's this B horror movie. I don't even want to say horror. Definitely like exploitation with okay. with horror. Like he did a little bit of both sides of the spectrum. And it's about his life and his death, his his murder. And it's it's really good. It's I guess it kind of reminds me of this movie because literally he was one of those directors that no one has said a bad thing about that work with him. He's apparently like a really fucking nice guy, really cool guy. And I don't want to give too much away because if you haven't watched it. It's less than two hours, Scott. So it's a it's a hard doc, less than two hours. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. it's really good. So I don't want to give much away. Yeah, I think I've mentioned. I think I recommended it early, early in the pandemic on here because that was when mm-hmm. I finally was like, let me work through this Shutter watch list that I've got. Yeah. Like, oh, is that Shutter? Yes. Yeah. Up. You know, I will watch even the most mundane shit on Shutter because I just want to give them <laughs> all of the views. Okay, so this is this is the only gatekeepy thing I'll ever say. Probably not. As a <laughs> lifelong horror lover, or, you know, like, since I knew what horror was, I've, I I have dumped a lot of money into the into the genre, right? And I feel like when I watch something on Amazon Prime, it's not supporting the genre. But when you watch something on Shudder, I feel, and I may be completely wrong, but I feel like Shudder is supporting the genre way more than Prime. They're mm-hmm. definitely giving more people voices. Exactly, yeah. but like even even from a financial standpoint, like, you know, Jay Tro's talked about how little money he made having FP2 on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, you think he said mm-hmm. he made like 10 bucks. Fucking insane. <laughs> like something like, like insane. I yeah. would 
there's no way that Shudder isn't giving you a better deal. Like, I'm sure that it's, you obviously have, like, the hierarchy, right? Like, if you're working for a major studio, if you're on, like, actual television, television, you're going to be getting a bigger paycheck than Shudder. But I agree with you. I think from, like, the streaming war zone, unless you're, like, the biggest show on Netflix or Hulu, you're probably not making much money. But I can't imagine that Netflix's deals are as good as Shudder's deals, like a Shudder original, because I'm assuming that what Shudder is doing is they're giving a platform to, like, even a movie like Stay Out of the Fucking Attic, which I didn't really enjoy. I'm not really going to discuss it on this show, even in a What Did We Watch. Um, I'm mentioning it right now as a tangential thing, but that's not a great movie, but I appreciate the fact that Shudder chose to say it's a Shudder original. They took the rights, they they bought the rights, and they put it on their streaming app. I would have never known about it otherwise. It's also the best way for, if you're a horror person and you want to make horror movies, like, you think Netflix is going to give your little horror no. movie, like, accolades when it's just going to drop it without a word on the and streaming the service, and it's really your job to Netflix promote it. horror movies? When was the last time you saw anything good on Netflix that wasn't a TV show? Two or three years ago, they had, like, uh, Ritual... And Apostle. Apostle. And then they just stopped. Yeah. yeah. Apostle <laughs> is probably the best horror thing that they've ever done. I mean, I guess yeah. in, was in the Tall Grass also a Netflix original? Yeah. I, it was. I didn't watch it, but I'm just saying like. It wasn't know, great. No. I, I have no desire <laughs> no. to watch it. That's why I didn't. But I'm saying like they did Gerald's Game, I think. They did a lot of the net. The, I feel like they have some type of Stephen King based. Yes. Because they yeah. did a lot of those. But that's also casting a much wider net than something like you know, like immortal Nazis doing experiments in But that's what I mean. That's that's the difference. Slacks. Exactly. Slacks. Slacks went on Shudder, but like those went on Shudder and I got an email being like, yo, motherfucker, this week we're talking about Slacks. If they had signed a deal to Netflix, it would have just been chilling in the hard section. And the only way anybody would have seen it is if it was so good that word of mouth really started to like blow up across the internet. Yeah. Put it this way. There's a show called flaked, right? Mm -hmm. Created by Will Arnett. He scheduled a meeting and it took him six months to get a meeting with Netflix. So how much do you think your indie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Scott, what's something you watch that you want to talk about? I, this is also almost like a weird double feature, but, um, so I watched nothing but trouble on a Monday. Right. Um, (laughs) and it was painful. And then Monday night, Megan's like, have you ever watched the butcher's wife? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And she's like, oh, it's cute. Let's watch it. Because she's been finding all these, like, since we've, I don't know how we got on this rabbit hole on, like, Hulu or whatever, of all these, like, 80s and 90s, like, rom-com-y kind of things. We we had watched My Cousin Vinny, and then she was like, let's watch The Butcher's Wife. I remember it being cute. Demi Moore, 1991, literally had to have been filmed right before or right after I think it was right before they did Nothing But Trouble. So it would have been like 1990. She probably went right from Butcher's Wife because she had long blonde hair in Butcher's Wife. And I'm pretty sure it's her hair with extensions. To her short, her her typical early 90s Bob black hair do. And Such it's super look. cute. Yeah. Oh, Demi Moore is absolutely gorgeous. But have you, either of you guys ever watched The Butcher's Wife? No. Jeff Daniels. I feel like I remember the title. If it's 90s and Jeff Daniels, it's got my attention. 
It's. I mean, he's a douchebag in it, but like, it's it's entertaining. What? Yeah, his character's pretty <laughs> irredeemable. But I was about to say he was a charm in the '90s. <laughs> well, watch it. It's an enjoyable flick, but nothing really bad happens. She's a clairvoyant, and so she sees the future, and she like basically fixes all these people's love lives. It's cute. It's a cute movie, but um, very funny that like literally the day I finished watching Nothing But Trouble, Megan's like, let's watch this movie that I'd never heard of, and it's the same time, same actress. It's crazy. So anyway, that's what she's I She's very sweet, too. I love Demi Moore. Yeah. Very sweet lady. All right. And I'll, I'll make mine real quick. Uh, so I'm watching this really obscure show. Uh, Should have gotten a lot more attention than it did. It's called Lost. Um, <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and I had tried Lost like years ago and was like, man, I'm not into it. But I finally was like, let me just sit down and watch it. I got nothing going on. And I like it so far. I know that people really hated the ending, but I'm also noticing something. I remember, I think Jonathan said this before, and I'm realizing what he meant was he was like, people keep talking about how confusing Lost is. And when they say that, I know that they've never read a comic book before (laughs) because like the whole show is comic book logic. It's like alternate realities, different timelines, like all the shit that like if you've even read a couple DC comic books, you're just like, oh, they're on a different earth now. Got it. <laughs> like, But like, I'm sure that like in the early 2000s when like we weren't doing multiverse stories on like True. CW shows just yeah. yet, that was yeah. just like, what the fuck is happening? Did you guys see the TikTok on video game logic? No, no. Where it's like they, they, he's like, all right, we gotta get in this, we gotta, we gotta find a snake key. I think it's in the third floor. He's like, do you realize how insane this is? Like all these doors are locked and they need unique keys. He's like, he doesn't want us to escape, but he didn't know we were coming. That's what I don't get. Like if this guy had to take a piss, he can't even get into his bathroom. He's got to find the snake key that's hidden in a box that he has to solve a puzzle in order to get. I love it. But yeah, Lost, uh, highly recommended. It's a bit obscure, but I think you'll enjoy it. So that was Nothing But Trouble, as picked by Brian from 1991. He's celebrating on video. Once again, if you go over to the Patreon, patreon.com backslash HMN podcast, you can watch our beautiful faces while we do this. Um, we're going to stick in. I do in- promise this is the last like eye roll Brian Kelly pick this quarter. Oh, he's going to kill it for the I next like three months, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to stick around in the 90s next week for my pick. Uh, We're doing another film that was kind of looked at as a bit self-indulgent and egotistical, but I think that it turned out a better product in the long run. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, We'll we'll see. We'll see how it holds up. So come right back over here sometime (laughs) next week and find out what movie we're talking about. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. 
This is Unstable Topics. We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm-hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.